reports are flooding in about a major catastrophe. You're under attack from a super villain. Now cool! I would like to help. Baymax! I am not fast. No kidding! My brother built Baymax to help people. Hello. It works! Oh, this is amazing! Have a lollipop. Sweet. We can't go against that guy. We're nerds! We can be way more. Why is Baymax wearing carbon fiber underpants? This may undermine my non-threatening, huggable design. Anybody else's suit riding up on him? We could be Welcome, everybody, again to South Bay Church. We want to welcome those of you watching online at a coffee shop or in your PJs at home. Welcome San Jose campus and Sunnyvale campus. So glad you joined us. I love this movie. It's really, really fun. If you haven't watched it yet, I recommend you watching it. In fact, let me just get a show of hands. Who's watched this movie? Both of our campus. Just raise your hands real quick. All right, cool. Well, it's a really fun movie. I want to give you a little glimpse into what happens in this movie because what we're going to do today is we're going to unfold some things out of it. We're going to look at some principles that the movie, this movie and many other movies reveal about the human experience, some of the human longings that we have inside of us. It's consistent regardless of who we are, where we grew up, some cravings that are inside of us that these type of movies reveal to us. And then we're going to look at what scripture has to say about that and what God has to say to us today. Well, the movie starts with a young boy. He's 14 years old. His name is Hero. He is this little boy here behind me on top of this giant uh, robot-looking balloon. And he is basically 14 years old, but he's a science and technology prodigy. The kid is super smart. He loves to create stuff. He lives in a city called San Francisco, and it looks a lot like the Bay Area. It's a mixture of Tokyo and San Francisco. It's futuristic. A lot of cool stuff's happening in the city. But this kid has no parents, and he lives with his brother and his aunt, and he's got basically no direction. He is uh, fighting these robot fights underground in San Francisco and wasting his life away until his brother introduces him to this place called the Institute of Technology in San Francisco. And he basically shows him a group of friends that he has that are creating these incredible technologies that are going to shape the future of the world. And he introduces uh, this little boy to different characters. I want to show you who these characters are. There's, first of all, Gogo Tomago. She's a speed-obsessed feminist who's always telling people to woman up. So no matter what happens, if they're kind of weak, they're like, woman up, woman up. And she's, you, might see, you might have seen this woman in your workplace as well. Uh, there's also Wasabi, who is this obsessive, compulsive, big dude with, with a lot of insecurities inside of him. You might be able to relate to this as well. You might have seen some of these people around you in your work. He's developed 
developing some kind of plasma blade technology uh, to, that can be used in weaponry. Then there is Honey Lemon, this girl right here behind me. She creates some kind of technology that can uh, morph different objects that are metal objects or whatever into these pink type of uh, substances that basically dissipate. She's the kind of girl that's very girly and she's a chemistry student. She's very, very talkative. Oh my gosh, you know, all that. You, you might have seen that one in your workplace as well. And then there's Fred. Fred's basically a loser. He doesn't really do much. He's the guy that walks around the office and doesn't do anything. And everyone wonders, like, what's your role here? And he's like, uh, we'll talk later. And he is the guy that he, he just dreams. He's a dreamer. He's a comic book fan. He wants to be a superhero, hopefully in the form of some sort of dragon. That's his ultimate dream. Well, anyways, Hero... Uh, gets this vision. He wants to be a part of this university, this tech institute. But to do that, he needs to create something incredible that he can present at this tech convention. So he creates these things called the microbots. It's a little robot that when they all come together, they take all these different shapes and it's going to be beneficial to society. But that night that he presents this at the convention center, everything burns down. There's a massive fire that takes over. And though he is, astonishes everybody at the convention, his uh, brother that night gets killed in the fire, and it seems like all of the inventions get burned up. But soon after this, when he is at the bottom of it all, lost his brother, his parents, his invention, he discovers that it wasn't really an accidental fire. There's somebody that was behind all of this, and, and he ends up gathering this group of nerdy techies and turning them into superheroes. And it's, it, the story unfolds as they basically uh, partner with one of his brother's remnant creations, Baymax, and turns him into a fighting machine and goes after this villain. Now, like many other movies, this movie reveals a struggle and a longing that's built deep inside of the human soul. It's this longing that we have to live for a bigger purpose. And when we watch these movies, there's something inside of us that's energized. And in fact, if you, if you watch the movie from last week, Avengers, I just watched it with my kids, and you, you, you watch these superheroes fight and conquer, something inside of you just stirs and you go to the edge of your seat because you know that deep inside of you, it's not that you're meant to be a superhero and fly away, but there's something in us that tells us, I'm meant for more. See, the dream of being heroic, stronger, and more significant is a built-in craving given to us by God. That dream that we have inside of us to start companies and to start organizations and to you know, conquer and to rise up in life, it's because God put that inside of us. It's a seed in the human soul that's there to drive us toward our purpose. I want you to watch this clip that gives us a glimpse into the moment when Hero and his friends found out that they could be more. Let's watch I'll scan the whole city at the same time. I just have to upgrade Baymax's sensor. Actually, if we're gonna catch this guy, I need to upgrade all of you. Upgrade who now? Those who suffer a loss require support from friends and loved ones. <laughs> okay, I like where this is heading. We can't go against that guy. We're nerds. You know, we want to help, but we're just us. No, you can be way more. Tadashi Hamada was our best friend. We're in. <laughs> can you feel it? You guys, do you feel this? Our origin story begins. We're gonna be superheroes! 
I know what you're thinking. You want to be the superhero, right? Like you watch these movies and you're like, yes, I want to be. In fact, when I watched this with my kids, it was so fun to watch them at the end of, edge of the couch. And, and they're like, I love this part. They're turning into something more. You see, we're created to conquer and to live big and to make an impact and to be a part of a bigger story. And when we see these movies that, that give us the glimpse of others that are moving that direction, something inside of us clicks with that. I'm not talking about just fame and you know extravagant living i'm talking about significance doing something that's more that stands out that that is beyond human accomplishments that's why we have these desires to write that book and to start that company and to accomplish different things that are beyond what our own even capacity might be telling us we can accomplish we're not satisfied with just that life of work and sleep and make money and work and sleep and make money. And, and many of us, as you're watching this, as you're experiencing this, you're, you're thinking, that's my life. Like I, I work and I sleep and I eat and I work and I sleep and I eat and it's a cycle and there's something inside of us that's just dead when that's all we do. Now, I know some people that are here are thinking, well, I don't have that. And I think the reason is because some of us have had people look us in the eye and say, you can't do it. And maybe it started when we were kids, we had the dream and the longing that was being wanting to express and come out of us. But because over and over again, people were telling us, you can't do it, and you're too small, and you can't speak, and you don't have what it takes and you don't have the funding and you don't have the big enough dream and you can't really cast the big enough vision and you can't do whatever and and our dream and that longing that God put inside of us gets buried deep 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 inside of us but there in our soul deep inside there is a dream and a desire and a longing for more than human accomplishment i want to take you on a little journey through a chapter of the bible it's Philippians chapter 3, and if you have your Bible, you can open, the, open it there, or go to the app and open it there as well, or it'll be on your screens. But here's, here's what, what's happening here. There's a guy named Paul. We talk a lot about him in church because this guy was actually named Saul before he was named Paul, and he was a guy that was persecuting the followers of Jesus in the first century. So he was going from home to home and per persecuting them all, and he was also at the top of his, of his circle he was, had all the knowledge. He was like at the top of his game. But then he had an encounter that changed everything. And everything that he thought was so awesome about his human accomplishments began to switch and be ruined in his own mind. And he explains in this chapter what happened to him. And I want you to take a look at this with me. So it's Philippians chapter 3, and it starts like this in verse 4. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a, he a real Hebrew, if there is ever one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. In Silicon Valley terms, this is like saying this, that he was born into a reputable family, 
had success in his veins, that he had, had the highest business degree from Stanford or any other university around and had favor with the best VPs and CEOs. Everything he touched works. His entrepreneurial accomplishments were always rising up and succeeding. He was featured in the, best, in the Fast Company magazine cover and had made great money. Everything that he touched, all the books that he wrote were best-selling and at the top. But then something changed. In fact, as you look at what he's talking about even, every one of us are trying to accomplish certain things because of that one desire I'm talking about inside of us that says, you can be more. And we're already striving for that. But there's a perspective shift that happened in this guy, Paul. He listened to what he says. I once thought that these things were very valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Basically saying, look, all of the stuff that I've done, I count it as nothing because of what Christ has done. It's all his fault. It's the fault of Jesus. Like he came into my life and he ruined everything. Everything I thought was so awesome and all the stuff I was building my life into was, was now looked at as garbage. It was nothing in comparison to the infinite value of knowing Jesus. See, I remember when that started to happen in my life. See, in Paul's life, when that happened, it was right when he encountered Jesus for three days. He was in agony. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He was weeping because everything he thought was important was no longer important anymore. His world got turned upside down. For some of you, that happened this year or maybe 10 years ago. Some of you, it's, a, it's a, still in the future maybe to happen. In my life, it was in high school. And I was thinking back as I was preparing this, that the same exact process that I went through. I remember when I first came to America as a student. In, in high school, I struggled like many of you did with, with language and cultural barriers, and, and I was just trying to make a way into belonging. And so here I am, a freshman in school, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, like, where do I fit? And I didn't have any friends, and I didn't really fit in anywhere, and I felt really like I didn't, I didn't belong in this country, and I didn't really know. So I, I worked really hard to find a, a way to fit in to get into the circle. And I began then to go to different places with people that are, were kind of uncomfortable for me because I had some convictions in my heart, but I just started to experiment with things. And I began to go to all the parties and I started to get into the circles of friends that, that were into drugs. And I began to experiment with all of that. And soon I found myself in this place where I was actually with a lot of people that liked me. And I was finally in, and I was experiencing this, and people were coming to the parties we hosted, and they were coming to our group of friends to buy drugs, and we were, you know, my, I finally made it into this place where there was significance until I started going to this church. And this church, it was this old Presbyterian church up in Michigan, Pastor Annie went there as well, and I remember they had these nights, they call it the catacomb worship nights. And I, don't, I didn't even know what that was in particular. I just remember going to them. I, I know that the catacomb idea came from like the third century. The Christians in Rome are being persecuted. So they, asked to, they had to worship underground in these catacombs where dead people were buried. And they, they were basically worshiping in secret. And so this student program would have this, these moments in the basement of this old Presbyterian church. And it was kind of dark. And they lit up all these candles. And they would just basically worship for hours. And I remember going to these things and standing kind of in the back wall over there. And 
again and experiencing something inside of me that was just ruining me, ruining me from the inside out. I would just weep and weep and weep and, and, and just cry because there's something inside of me that was feeling like there's something way more. And I began to get a glimpse of love. In fact, people often ask me, like, what was it, what was it like? And, I, and the only way I could describe what I was encountering during that season was love. It was this deep, deep sense of love inside of me that was, was not just human love. It was a deeper type of love, and I would just weep. And for a long time, I'd actually try to quit some of the things I was struggling with, but it always felt like this, like God or that, God or that. And it was, it was just so difficult until I began to take a step toward him, and then it became God or this. It got diminished. And every time I took a step toward him, those things became lower, like worthless. And I can relate with this because Paul came to a point now that he said, you know what, everything I thought, like I rose up in my career, everything I thought was so significant is now actually considered garbage. The literal word really means crap. It, was, it meant like he like, there's not, no value at all in all of the stuff that he thought was so awesome about his life. And that's what started to happen to me. It ruined me to the point where I couldn't see myself doing anything else but serving God and knowing God. See, when we take a step toward him, Everything begins to change. The more we live in light of eternity, the more alive our souls become. The word that Paul uses is this, when uh, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus. There are certain things that are infinite, never-ending, eternal. And those are the things that he is saying are worth more than anything else. And when our lives get this glimpse that we can count for eternity, when we see that a little part of our life now can count for eternity, there's an impact that went beyond human at this point, beyond just temporary, there's something inside of us that comes alive because we know that that's what we were meant to do. And he says, I wanted to gain him. He did everything so he would gain Christ and become one with him. The, the, whole, the impression that this gives, the, what he's trying to say is that the, you have to strive for it to the point where you're, going, you're running after so hard that you actually become one with him. It's not like, let me go to church every now and then, or like, here's my career, and here's my other job, and here's my family, and here's my spiritual life. He's saying, no, 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 like, when you take a step toward him, and you get the glimpse of the infinite value of things and the infinite value of knowing him, then everything else becomes so insignificant that it consumes all of you. And then he says this, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. In other words, when I accomplish things with my own effort there's some little value in that possibly but when it's god accomplishing things through me when it's connected to faith that's when i come alive it stops becoming about what we can accomplish and it starts becoming about what god can accomplish through us when you first get that sense in you that the god of creation moved through you to change something that's connected to eternity. You never go back. We begin to celebrate God's accomplishments. And then he ends this little paragraph by saying this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power 
that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection. This word know is not just like, let me grow in my knowledge of theology or know about God. It's experiential knowledge. It's actually taking a step toward him in relationship and watching him come into you. It's becoming one and striving after. And he says, I don't, I'm not satisfied with just knowing about. I want to know. And not only know, I want to experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want that to be in my life. He, this is the, 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 I, the glimpse that he got that God can use. And once he started to see that every time that he spoke in the name of Jesus, that things would change eternally, that everything that he served and he did good, that things were being impacted eternally, it began to change inside of him. I love this other version of this same verse. It says this, my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly than, and more clearly than ever before. It's the pursuit of God. You see, our purpose is not as mysterious as, and unknown as we think it is. It is actually found and experienced in intimately knowing God. We don't have to climb a mountain and meditate with monks and to find out our purpose or get on our knees and just beg God to reveal our purpose to us. He's given us our purpose already. It is to know him and to live life in light of eternity, to use every single thing that we have in our possession for him. Our purpose stems from knowing him. Listen to what, what Paul said in the letter to the Colo- to, uh, in Colossians. It says this, we look at this son, the son of God, and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. Listen, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So then you might ask, what about my job and my family and career and my talents and my stuff? Knowing God isn't just not tangible enough. Well, here's the, the truth. God wants to use what's in our hands to build and do what's in his heart. He's not saying that all this stuff is not going to be valuable. He's saying it is only valuable when you give it to me. Everything that's in our hands can be used to build what's in his heart. But our heart needs to be his because whatever is in our hands is shaped by what's in our heart. It'll take the, the value or the, the condition of our heart and it'll be expressed within that condition. I want you to take a look at this clip when Hero is using this, this creation, uh, the microbots, for good and kind of showing the potential of it, and versus when the villain or the bad guy takes this same creation into his own hands. Let's take a look. This is a microbot. It doesn't look like much, but 
when it links up with the rest of its pals. Things get a little more interesting. The microbots are controlled with this neurotransmitter. I think what I want them to do, they do it. The applications for this tech are limitless. Construction. What used to take teams of people working by hand for months or years can now be accomplished by one person. And that's just the beginning. How about transportation? Microbots can move anything, anywhere, with ease. If you can think it, the microbots can do it. technology and objects and money, all these different things are amoral. They take the shape of whosever heart it is in. And everything that we have is like this. A phone can be used to encourage somebody or to spread gossip on social media about somebody. A computer can be used to develop a program to benefit society or to start an affair with somebody that is not your spouse. Any object in our hands will take the shape of whatever is in our heart. And God wants to use what is in our hands to shape and do what is in his heart. When our hearts are in him, everything in our hands become his tools. In fact, this building at the San Jose campus that we're sitting in, many of you don't know this, but it was a banquet hall, and they lost their permit because there were shootings happening in the parking lot and drug use happening inside of this building. And now a couple years later, week after week, the same building that had drug use and shootings outside is being used to rescue people in the name of Jesus. We're also praying that the same thing will happen in Sunnyvale, that there will be a facility someday that will be redeemed, and maybe it's being used for something else now, but that it'll be redeemed and be used to bring hope to lives. Any object will take the shape of whosoever heart it is in. See, our influence and belongings and our careers and our dreams can help people know God, or it can just be about us. It can have eternal significance, or it can go to the grave with us and have no significance. Here's what I want to challenge you to ask yourself. How can my influence 
and my belongings be used to help others know and love God more? How can everything in my hands be used for eternal significance? You know, right now there's all this like warnings about the water shortage and like you can't waste water. And I get it in the mail. I get it like, you know, if I, if I want to I go outside the other day and wash my car and I saw my neighbors look at me like that, you know, that evil look. And you're scared now, right? Like everywhere you go, I feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm watering my plants and I'm looking around to see if there's neighbors watching me water my plants because I feel like someone's going to shoot me in the head. But I wonder what would happen if instead of being so concerned with water, which we should be, what if we were just as concerned with the waste of potential? Because there's people all over these buildings that we're in right now. There's people all over our workplaces that have God built in potential. That there is something inside of them that's created for more, but they're never going to reach them more because they're not being challenged to reach them more. Nobody's telling them that there's more inside of them. That there is potential all over the world that is wasted. I think that's the biggest waste right there. What if we got the same type of notices in the mail that says, hey, you have potential, don't waste it. What if instead of, you know, we're outside eating our donut in our backyard, we're looking around and our neighbor's like, and the, the neighbor's like, hey, you got more potential, don't waste it. What if, what if we change the language? You see, the, I, I love the way that Paul ended this in this uh, paragraph. He says this, I want to know Christ, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And then he says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. It sounds like a crazy person. Like, I want to suffer with him. The literal, the literal text there says, I want to join the fellowship of his suffering. Like, I want to be in communion with his suffering. The word suffering comes from the word pathos, which is, means passion, right? Like, the passion of the Christ was the last few hours that he went to the cross. Because without passion and love, there's nothing that's worth living for. But when you have passion and love, you've got to be willing to suffer. In fact, if you don't want to suffer, you will never love Love calls us to give of ourselves. There's a sacrificial part of love. And what Paul is saying is, look, in comparison to knowing God, everything is worth nothing to me. Like, I have picked up my cross. I will be willing to suffer and even die for this cause. When you find something that's worth dying for, that's your clue that it's worth living for. And every time we put energy toward those things that make an eternal impact, our lives begin to change and we become fully alive. The clarity of our purpose is revealed by the depth of our sacrifice. The clarity of our purpose is revealed by the depth of our sacrifice. He's basically doing, I, saying, I will do whatever it takes, no matter the cost. I found what I'm built to do. It's worth dying for, so I'm going to live for it. There's nothing else that matters to me. There's nothing else that's more significant than me doing what I'm called to do. When we find our purpose and it's clear, we sacrifice for it. Watch this clip of when Baymax gives it all for the sake of his purpose. Almost there. My thrusters are inoperable. Just grab hold! 
there's still a way I can get you both to safety. I cannot deactivate until you say you are satisfied with your care. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. What about you? You are my patient. Baymax, Your no. health is my only concern. Stop, no, no, I, I'm, I'm gonna figure out... Are you out. satisfied with your care? No, there's gotta be another way. I'm not gonna leave you here. I'll think of something. There is no time. Are you satisfied with your care? Please. No. I can't lose you two. Hero. I will always be with you. I'm satisfied with my care. See, when you believe in what you're built to do and in what you're doing, you put your line, your life on the line for that cause. There's nothing you won't do to move that mission forward. God wants to use what's in our hands to build and do what's in his heart. That's why we ask you to become a South Bay partner and move from consumer to contributor. That's why we ask every semester for people to say, lead a, to, to lead a life group and take what your passions are and your hobbies and your interests and your skills and use it to develop people. That's why we ask people to consider using every single part of them to invest into others. That's why there's hundreds of volunteers at South Bay week after week that invest in the next generation and Bay Kids and Ignite and is serving in multiple services and they wake up early and they serve countless hours on a week and their only day off because it matters. That's why we start campuses at South Bay. That's why we're going to continue to expand. That's why we will do whatever it takes. That's why our series next week is starting that says whatever it takes because we believe it is worth it. That it's worth it to give every single bit of who we are for a cause that's bigger than us. In fact, it's not just worth it. It's what we're created to do. There are lives that God wants to change. There's goodness he wants to spread. There are broken relationships he wants to restore. There are orphans he wants to be adopted. There are people in poverty that he wants to rescue. There are souls that are lost that he wants to save. And he's waiting for people like you and I to say, everything that's in my hands, God, it is yours to fulfill what's in your heart. And when we do that, our hearts come alive because we know that we were made for greater things. And that when we place our life into his hands and every single part of us, all of the dreams, all of the passions, all of our aspirations inside of his kingdom work, when we say, God, all that I have, it is yours for your heart, for your work to be accomplished, then everything changes inside of us and we become the people that God desires us to be. As we wrap up, I want to ask that you would close your eyes with me, both of our campuses together. And if you're comfortable with this, just place your hands in front of you. 
And I want you in your hands to picture whatever it is that God has been stirring already in you, that he's been wanting you to put in his hands. It might be a talent or a dream or your workplace or your parenting or your marriage or some kind of skill set, some kind of aspiration. It might be your efforts. Whatever it is, you put it in that hand. And I want to ask you to join me in prayer. God, you know everything that's inside of us. You know every part of us, every thought, every passion, every skill, every gift, every dream. And together, we want to give it to you, God, to fulfill what's in your heart because we believe it matters most. We want our lives to count. And I pray for every person listening today that we would relinquish control of our lives to you so that you can unleash your power through us because we were made for that. And I pray that as we do that, as we release even now, that you would fill our hearts with such life that we would consider all other things worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing you and making you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.